Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Coming up on today's show, I'm gonna beg for old George Masvidal to please come back. Plus, I'm gonna tell you what makes Bo Nickel so special, and I'll also break down the odds for Oliveira versus Makhachev. Now, before we get to that, I wanna begin today's program by giving you my reaction to the biggest news of the week. Brady and Giselle, so they're breaking up. Did you guys hear about this? And somebody else's relationship is none of my business. But sometimes when these things come in, there is something you got you got to learn, right? I mean, when you have a public figure, somebody that you, uh, people aspire to and look up, I mean, you you do got to learn. Copy Brady for plenty of other things. Maybe you got to study some things that you don't want to do because you want to end up divorced. And I've seen this happen on a much lower level, right? Allegedly, I'm going on TMZ or whatever we're told, but allegedly. She didn't want him to play football, and he's going back to play football, and she's going, well, I'm out. If you're choosing that game over your family, I'm out, and we can't go any further together. Okay. I mean, that's that's really tough stuff. And I'll just tell you, on a personal level, I have seen it. I have female friends who have told their boyfriends, marry me or I'm gone. And they married them. I don't have anybody that walked away, but then I put myself in their shoes. If my wife would leave me for any reason, that's not my girl. If there was any reason, and vice versa, if there's anything that she could do and all of a sudden I'm turning the other shit, that's not my girl. I'm not her guy. I mean, that was like a litmus test for me. So I don't love it. I don't love the idea. I don't love that that family's getting broken up. I don't love that a guy is playing another year of football. At the same time, you've got your whole life, right? You've got a really small window. You've got this rare opportunity to be able to go out there and do something, not to mention it's work, not to mention it's for your family. I mean, it's, it's one of these things that I feel for Brady. I, I don't think that he should have been put in that position. I really don't. And there could be more to it. But when guys come out and they retire, look, one person in the world, they were holding a, a parade for Tom Brady. I'm sitting over here on YouTube telling my two listeners with the window sheen, Tom Brady's not retired. He's playing next year. I'm the only one that got it right. I got no credit for that. But as a documented fact that I told you, he's not retired. I'm not even sure this next season will be his last season. I can just guarantee he hasn't seen his last season. I told you guys this, but I'm the same guy that came to you three weeks ago and told you Kevin Holland is not retired. Now, the Kevin Holland one is a very interesting situation. I'm trusting that you guys have seen this. Kevin Holland had retired from the sport. And then he doubled down on it. He was speaking very calmly. He said, look, I made a bunch of money in that Chamaya fight. I got my answer. I got a family. I'm going to take that money. I'm going to take my experiences, and I'm off. And he's young. He's like 29 years old. He said, I got my wits about me. I feel good. I got a whole life ahead of me, and I'm out. And that sounded very believable. I mean, at the same time, no matter what, he's not out. As good as that check was, as good as his memories was, it didn't touch what Henry Cejudo did, and Henry Cejudo's back, right? I mean, it's just one of these really hard things to walk away from, but this is where Kevin was at, and Dana was even asked about it. Dana said, man, I'm I, I, close with this guy. Really respect this guy. He's a good fighter. Took on a hard opponent, got stuck in one position. I don't think he should retire, but I won't be the one to talk him out of it, and we'll go by what he says. So Holland then triples down on it last night, but for the first time, he left a little bit of a door open. He said, if something super duper, and you know I don't use those words, right? You know I'm way too cool to say things like super duper. So when I say that, you know I'm quoting. If something super duper came up, I'd have to give that a look. So that was last night. I wake up this morning. He's in a main event with Wonder Boy. Now, one thing that Kevin Holland said in the interview that I read last night, he could have done it in the morning. He could have done it in the afternoon. I got a hold of this thing last night. But one of the things he said is, I don't, I don't need to get in there and wrestle with anybody. So he laid that down. He laid down, I don't want in there with more grapplers. So they bring in Wonder Boy. Now, that's an excellent juxtaposition. That's a wonderful opponent. Wonder Boy, last time I looked, was ranked number five. Now, that was a while ago, and he lost to Burns. I don't know what he's ranked, but Wonder Boy is one of the top guys. This is a main eventer. This is a multiple-time number one contender, multiple-time world title challenger. And he's not going to go out there and do the wrestling. Is that good news? I'm asking you Kevin Holland fans, is that good news? Because I see it a little bit differently. 
I think it's the single worst fight that Kevin Holland could have taken. That's what I think. Now, I think that because I'm following the golden rule to put myself in Kevin's shoes. If I have established that I have a problem with guys who can take me off my feet, if I've established that to the point that I'm willing to walk away completely or I'm willing to come in and hedge and tell the whole world I don't want to deal with any more of those guys, I haven't solved the problem. I'm not going to solve the problem. I'm confident that I'm not going to solve this problem, so I'm just out. Oh, wait a minute. They're going to bring me a guy that doesn't do that. Before you think you've solved, I mean, look at, look at, what, look at what's on Kevin's shoulders. He's openly telling us I can't deal with wrestlers. I mean, these are Kevin's words, not mine. I think Kevin is doing better and better. I thought his scramble with Shemaev and coming up to, I, I thought it was actually a very good exchange. Kevin is coming out and telling us that he can't deal with wrestlers. Now he's going to go deal with a striker. If he can't beat the striker, what do you do? What do you got left? Now it's not a matter of I'm retired. It's not a matter of I'm stepping away, right? That's when you get up and remove yourself. You will be thrown out if you now can't beat the striker after you told us that you can't beat the wrestler. It's one of the, it's a really hard spot. I was surprised that he took the match. I really was. I really was. He's going to be a main event. Okay. He goes from a co-main event. He loses in decisive fashion. He returns to a main event. Kevin fell forward. Awesome job. How'd you do it? Let's study that. Great job. Truly. Really hard to do. I'm not going to do this sport anymore. Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do it at the end of the night after all the rest of you guys get done. Great job. But Wonder Boy is in the five-round club many times over. That's a hard thing to do. I like Kevin on his feet. I'm excited for that match. I really am. I'm not just sailing this in and giving it to Wonder Boy. Kevin can fight on his feet because he's got a hell of a chin and he's got weird strikes that he'll do. He'll come across the ring and just kick you right in the chest. Remember that the first time that ever happened where you guys watched, I think it was UFC 2. Pat Smith out of Colorado. Big John says, let's get it on. Pat Smith runs across the ring and just plants a foot right in this guy's chest, sent him into the fence, sent him down to the canvas. It was a spectacular moment in MMA. And that held up on every highlight reel for the next decade. But Kevin Holland does a variation of that himself. He's long. The problem you have with Wonder Boy, because see, I don't have a problem with Kevin's wrestling the same way that he does. I don't think he got his ass kicked by Chemayev. I think he got taken down early. He was dry and he got put in one position. I wasn't ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater on that one. But I'm sharing for you, as much as I do think Kevin can go on his feet and might even be the one to go out and pursue the takedown here himself, whether he gets it or not, but might invoke that strategy, what I'm sharing for you is it's really hard to prepare for Wonder Boy. I fought Lyota Machida. I kept my mouth shut. I walked out there and I handled it. But inside, I did not. That's not the name I wanted. I didn't want that name because I had teammates that dealt with him. Dan Henderson had to deal with him. By example, Randy Couture had to deal with him. And we had a very hard time preparing them for that because there was nobody that we could bring in. There was no sparring partner that can do Machida as well as Machida. At least not that we found. If they're out there, we have not been able to find them. And we had plenty of resources and plenty of money for training. I mean, we, didn't, we still couldn't find it. So you get one crack at this guy. No matter how prepared you are, there's going to be a different look that you've never seen. You're going to see it live. And your career is on the line, right? I mean, there's just a lot. Wonder Boy is very close. He, he's got a very dynamic style. I think it's an interesting match. I love it. My final analysis, I love that match. Welcome back, Kevin Holland. Welcome to the main event. Kevin Holland. But also, welcome back to Wonder Boy. Wonder Boy was supposed to be there and there with Rachmanov, at least for a cup of coffee. I mean, that was released. That was out. Both guys had accepted. They got to their social media. Then Wonder Boy said, you know what? Not so fast. I don't really want to be in there with one of these big wrestlers myself. Holland says the same thing. Boom. Hey, you get them together. I, I, I get it. I'll enjoy it. I'll look forward to this match. I will just tell you the stakes are very high. Both of them have said the same thing. I don't want to fight a wrestler, which means I'm very confident on my feet, which means one of them is going to lose and that confidence is going to be for not. I don't know where the loser goes from here. High stakes on Wonder Boy versus Holland. Staying in the welterweight division, I want to take the next few minutes to talk about two of the biggest stars in MMA. Sit back and enjoy. All right, let's talk a little Conor McGregor, guys. A couple of things has gone down. Now, I did a piece a number of days ago speaking about Conor and whatever back and forth Conor had going with Bisping. 
which I really truly didn't fully understand. And I want the genesis of it. I know there's something brewing, just as an outsider, just as an outsider that watched it, I've known for years there's something brewing. I took a guess that it had to do with the introduction that Michael made to Audie, who is Connor's manager. And then Connor and Audie are thick as thieves and Bisping is getting pushed away. I called and spoke to Bisping about this, just trying to get an understanding on it. Bisping said, ah, chill, you're, you're actually wrong about that. He had beautiful things to say about Audie just to amend that statement. But I said, what is this about? He said, man, I really don't know. He came at me. I wasn't told, you know, I'm not totally comfortable with it. I'm a commentator. He's a fighter. I said, yeah, I I could see that. Now set that aside. Okay. That's information that I have. And let me go back to speculate and filling you guys in. So Connor does something uh, called a QA and a on Twitter. Now, there's a general rule to that, which is the audience can ask anything and you can ignore it, but whatever answer you give must be accurate. Reddit started this. It's called an AMA, Ask Me Anything. But when the Reddit folks would reach out to you, the moderators, and ask you to do this, they would explain that rule set. Ignore whatever you want, but whatever you answer, answer accurately. I took that to heart. Like when I've done AMAs, they are straight shoots. And this is the theme of it. And I have to wonder as I see Connors, if Connor was even the one typing, because right, you know when you can tell when somebody's typing? Like does Connor seem like the kind of guy that would use emojis and exclamation points? So you go, okay, well, was Connor even in the room? Possibly Connor was in the room and he was dictating and somebody typed these out for him. But see, you got to do this detective work. You have to wonder these things because if you're getting accurate information from Connor, that's valuable, right? We're detectives over here. We're trying to guess what's going to be next for Connor. So we're only as good as the information that we're being given. Now we've got to check our source though. The source being what appears to be Connor himself writing in a tone that we know Connor doesn't write in. So how close to these responses is Connor McGregor? Is he in the room? Is he the one saying that, right? It's one of the, it's a tough spot. But let's go by it because he did give us a couple of clues. Somebody asked him, when you return, will it be at welterweight? Connor responded with one word, definitely. Now, I like that and I believe it, right? And what's an easy thing to trick somebody on? Tell them something that they want to be true. But I believe that one. That sounds right. And that would be huge right off the bat. I mean, Connor's getting called out left, right, and center by 55 pounders. But I'm not sure he's going back to 55. Now, according to him and according, this was only yesterday, he is not going to uh, 55. He's going to 70. That changes a lot, guys. That's that's a massive clue. I am of the mind that Connor is returning. He talked about his leg. He even called it a distant memory. Said he had great doctors and he, and he said it's stronger now than it ever was. And that can be a real thing. You guys remember, it was a big night in our sport. But Frank Mir won the world championship and he popped Tim Sylvia's forearm. Do you guys remember that? The reason it was a big deal is when Herb Dean stopped it, Tim Sylvia's like, what are you talking about? But so was everybody else in the building going, hey, man, why'd you stop this? He didn't tap out. So they had to do it on a replay from a different angle. And you can see the bone pop. Herb Dean was cleared. He was vindicated. He was completely right, and he got credit for seeing something that everybody else, including those watching around the world on camera, missed. But I bring you that diatribe because when Tim went and got that fixed, they put a metal plate in there. So obviously you can't get in a fist fight with a metal plate. Well, not so fast. He could. So Tim started warning people, if I take you down, I'm going to pound you, and I'm going to pound you with my metal plate. Now, I only bring you that story because sometimes guys really do come back. It's like a bionic something or other. I don't know where Connor's knee is at. I'm just telling you what Connor said. And I am fully of the mind, particularly after seeing Connor's body and seeing his wrestling workout that he put out over the weekend. I am fully of the mind that he's of the mind that he's returning. Now, whether he returns or not, that's actually a little bit of a different conversation. All I'm speaking to is my belief that he currently believes that he's returning, now it sounds like it's going to be at 170 pounds. And matchups for Connor get real fascinating at 170. I think that we can eliminate the title talk. I know that was real. But it turns out that Leon is under the Paradigm Management Company. So essentially, Leon and Connor are teammates. Leon and Connor match up very well. But Connor and Kamar don't match up so well. Connor and Chemayev don't match up so well.
So, but if we eliminate title talks, all of a sudden you start to have some very interesting matchups, not to mention you could just bring a 55 pounder up, right? Like nobody's off limits. Poirier has been wanting to go to 170. Chandler would bump up to 170. We can play this game. We don't have to, but Gaethje would go up to 170. So it starts to get really interesting for the what could be, what might happen. I don't know where the dialogue of Connor versus George Moswell has gone to. I have no idea. It seems to have just disappeared. There was another conversation that came and went very quietly, which is the return of Nick Diaz. I mean, that appears to just be done. And Dana kind of told us as much, but we didn't believe it when he said it. We kind of thought, well, you know, the right phone call. You know, Dana doesn't always dig in on those things. This was his opinion at the time. But if he gets the right phone call, finds out a guy's serious, he could, he could walk him back out there. But that kind of went away very quiet, quickly and quietly as well. Okay. Sugar Sean O'Malley weighs in on Connor. And Sugar Sean says that Connor is the GOAT, that there's not even a question about it. Sean finished that thought by talking about the entertainment value and the character and the personality that Connor brought to the sport. Sean elaborated yet again to say, maybe not skill wise, but overall, he's the GOAT. And that's not the first time I've heard somebody make that argument. When we talk about GOAT, it's supposed to be skill wise. But I know Dominic Cruz agrees with Sean in that he believes popularity, he believes level of interest, right? If you have less people, but God damn it, they're diehards, which is what Connor's guy got a flying in. He's so over there loading jumbo jets and they're flying in to watch his matches. So if you have less people, but they're more passionate than a guy that can bring in more people, but they don't really give a damn, right? I mean, it's a, it, it gets to be an interesting conversation if you want it to be. And Sean said it'd be really hard to know who the actual greatest is. But if you go back and you watch Connor and you look at how fast he did it and the success that he had and the guys that he beat along the way, he's the GOAT, no question. Interesting comment. High praise. High praise from Sugar Sean, who doesn't like to give out a lot of compliments. And I do see his point. Now, I still want to keep GOAT talk. I want to try to adhere to the integrity of the statement. And I, I realize that in today's world, we get to make up whatever definition of GOAT that we see fit and then go from there. I don't agree with that. Greatest of all time, GOAT, pound for pound, great. It's what they used to go, pound for pound, but you're saying the same thing. Is a term coined in 1979 by a boxing reporter out of Brooklyn, New York, as the author of that statement. He has poetic license to then define the statement, and he did. And he said, if everything was equal in terms of size, who could beat up everybody else? That's who your goat is. Now, that still doesn't narrow us down. That still creates great debate. It would just move aside the popularity part of it. You've never seen anybody in this sports history that can kick George St. Pierre's ass. No matter how big, how small, how good they look, nobody. And if you want to argue that you believe you've seen somebody that could beat him, I'll go ahead and listen. As long as you also admit back to me it's going to be damn close and you're not sure. Because George is the greatest of all time. George also outdrew everybody. George was the most bankable draw that the sport ever had. Now, Connor came along, beat all those records. I understand that. But what I'm sharing for you is George didn't have that personality. George didn't have that character. George didn't have those hot takes. George couldn't fill up a room for a weigh-in or for a press conference. But on fight night, people all around the globe stopped what they were doing and they made sure to watch him. So I feel as though he checks that box. But the greatest of all time is one of these conversations that I'll never get tired of hearing. It will frustrate me every time I hear it. Every time I hear it, I will come to you. I'll have veins in my neck. I will do a diatribe, but I still want it to exist. I do like the greatest of all time talk. I think that it's fun. And Conor McGregor was the sitting simultaneous champion at 45 and 55, which are for sure not even debated, widely regarded and believed as the two most difficult weight classes in the sport. We just don't know which one is harder. Is 45 harder or is 55? Eh, I don't know. It's, and he was king of both of them. Conor McGregor's won so many world championships, he forgot one. Conor McGregor trademarked champ champ. Are you guys aware of that? Whenever you hear somebody say champ champ, Conor could sue you. 
He literally trademarked it, but he's not a champ champ. He's a champ champ champ. I was there. I watched the night that he won the interim title from Chad Mendez. Somewhere along the way, he forgot. Beats Jose, beats Eddie, thinks he's a champ champ. I mean, I'm just saying, right? When you're talking about a guy that's really great, a guy that's lost track of his championships certainly would qualify on that list. Oh, George Mosbrell. Do you guys want to know how many times I come over here? I sit down right in this chair and I get ready to tell you George Mosbrell's story and then I don't. I take it back. I zip my mouth. I don't do it. I knew George when George was a boy. When we were both boys. We were trying to come up through these smaller organizations. Bodog comes to mind. But we were traveling all over the world. Great experiences, but we're traveling all over the world, right? If somebody sees you travel, the things that you do when you when no one's around, I mean, it's one. It is the worst version of yourself for sure. So, I'd be on the road with George Masvidal. I couldn't have been more entertained. But there's stories now. See, we were boys. Now we're men. He is children, just by example. So I don't know what part of these stories are allowed to live. And I just zip my mouth and I just move on. But I got to tell you, I miss Young George. I really do. I think he's pulling off the long hair. I think he's pulling off the fancy shirts. But I think he pulled off the short hair with the neck tattoo in the aggressive style. First time I ever see this guy. He's 21 years old. Right? So when I tell you we're boys, we're, we're just kids. We're not even fully matured yet. We're not shaving once a day, right? We're just kids trying to make it with a dream. But I'm sitting in a ballroom in Russia, St. Petersburg, Russia, the number one suicide capital of the world because it's, it's, it's dark, like 19 hours a day. One fun fact that I learned while I was in St. Petersburg, sitting in this room, they got a ring set up and we go there for a week. We're going to do four days of fights. All day long. Report in the morning, leave at night. Four days of fights. There was like 50-some matches that were going to go. Bodog was going to film this. This The internet was a thing, but not quite a thing like it is now. Facebook was possibly a word, but possibly not. MySpace was big. Twitter did not exist. Instagram did not exist. Just for example, so you could go in and film 50 fights. You could go back into the kitchen. You could edit those, repackage it, and put it out to the world in eight different programs spread over two months and it would look fresh. You could still keep a secret back then. Vince McMahon, by example, if you ever went to a taping for Monday Night Raw, it would be four hours and he would film four shows. Every Monday he would film four shows. The next month is when those would be released. But when the internet came out, you could get those results to everybody. He's got to go live. I'm just sharing with you. It was a little bit of a different time. So George comes walking in. He's going to take on Steve Berger. Now, there was a thing for a meaningful period of time. It still exists to some degree, but for a meaningful period of time, if you were a UFC vet, if you could say that about yourself, but you were no longer with the UFC, you were in high demand. You were going to get signed instantly. Your face is going to go on posters and they're going to put UFC vet underneath it. You're going to have a beautiful placement on the card, probably the main event, unless there's another UFC vet. It's a big deal. Burger was a UFC vet. We knew who Berger was. I'd never, I'd never seen this Masvidal in my life. And he was 21. I mean, he came to the ring. He looked like a skin. He was a kid. Berger's in the ring first. So we're in just a small ballroom. There was no audience. There was no fans even allowed. The audience that I speak of was just us fellow fighters with their cornermen waiting for their turn to go. So we had to sit somewhere and we sat and watched the fights. So Berger's in the ring. Try to picture this. This kid... This kid comes to the ring, and while he's in, he's in the check-in area, right? They're checking the cup and the mouthpiece. They're putting his Vaseline on. He begins yelling at Berger. He's on the floor, and he begins pointing at Berger and yelling at him. And Berger's a straight-up badass, but Berger doesn't know how to handle this. First off, Berger's a leader. Berger was a leader within our locker rooms. If Berger said to do something, that's what we went and did. He was a USC veteran. We showed him this kind of respect. So he doesn't know how to, he's going to handle this 21-year-old kid that's talking trash from him from the ring apron. So he's got my attention. Goes out there, Masvidal's fighting Berger, gets on top of him. So they're in guard. Berger's in guard. Masvidal looks up. He's holding Berger down. He looks up and begins to have a conversation with the ring card girl. 
So he comes back to Berger and starts pounding. He pops up again, and then I, I believe he asked her for her phone number, right? I mean, like, this was theater. This was a show. But nothing like this had been done. This is the most unsportsmanlike piece of theater that's ever happened in the sport of MMA. And I turned to Matt Lillen, and I, I slapped Matt on the knee, and I said, this kid, we've got to get him in there with Nick Diaz. I just remember making that comment. Then all these years later, ends up fighting Nate Diaz. But that's what I said to Matt Lindley. We got to get him in there with Nick Diaz. And not to mention, Nick Diaz was like 23 at the time. 22 at the time. Okay. Just one of my many Masvidal stories. But I could go from there. I could tell you about the time we're in Trenton, New Jersey, on national television. Masvidal wins, take a microphone, points to his father in the crowd and says, I just want to thank my pops. He's on parole in Florida. He's not allowed to leave the state, but he snuck out just to support his little boy. Love you, Pops. He outed his dad. He outed his dad for breaking parole, but it meant so much to him that his father was there in the third row cheering him on. Like, these are real. I've got, I've got these stories, guys. I got all these stories back. And I'm bringing these ones to you because we have talked about these before. But now, I've got my precious little Masvidal. All my precious Masvidal stories, and I'm confronted with quite possibly my least favorite tweet I have ever seen. Now, what's on that screen, guys? That's George Masvidal. That's George Masvidal's back side profile on a beach holding a surfboard. And the text says, life's a beach. Don't forget your towel. What? Life's a beach. First up, no, no, it's not. That's actually not true at all. That's the opposite of truth. Don't forget your towel. What kind of a gangster uses a towel? I gave up a towel in 1999. I have not used a towel since 1999 because I'm too goddamn macho for him. Quite frankly, I get out of the, I do this and put my clothes on. Like, don't forget your towel. George, Ma I'm supposed to believe that George Mosvall is a surfer? Is that what I'm supposed to believe? Now, if they were selling anything here, I'm all in. If this thing is hashtag caption UFC 285, if, if we got anything marketable here, I'm in. George does a show that I believe is on Fight Pass, right? If, he, if he's tagging something and Fight Passing this weekend and I got the debut of Anthony Caesar, whatever, I'm in. It doesn't say any of those things. It says, life's a beach, don't forget your towel. Now, George, I guess, is in his version dressed like a surfer. Have you guys brought this up yet? See, it's very important that you see the picture so that you see my disgust. That's a disgusting beach. Do you see that seaweed and that litter? That's a disgusting beach. For a guy that lives in Florida, guy that lives in Miami, where the hell are all the people at? Goes out to a beach on the only day of the year that there's clouds in the sky. And he goes to a dirty part of the beach, and he's holding a board that I guess I'm supposed to believe that he rides. Now, he's wearing a hat. You don't surf in a hat, by the way. The entire caption says, life's a beach, don't forget your towel. He's not. He doesn't have a towel. Should I mention that? He's holding a surfboard. I don't get it. Then there's even an emoji attached, or two. Now, that's a bit feminine, in all fairness. The emoji game is a bit feminine, and there's like two emojis attached. But again, they're not selling anything. They're not directing me anywhere. This is the BMF. This is the reigning BMF. I'm to believe that the reigning BMF goes to an unpopulated part of a beach in Miami, part of Florida, where he lives on a cloudy day, talking about don't forget your towel, but he didn't bring one. He's holding a surfboard while wearing a hat. And by the way, he's got his phone. He's got his iPhone in his pocket. Is the iPhone all of a sudden waterproof? He's not going surfing. I don't know that he does surf. Why is he telling us to surf? Why does he want us to think that we surf? I was perfectly happy thinking that he was a straight-up badass by way of Cuba. Why does he want me to think he's a surfer? I don't respect surfers. Why do you tell me life's a beach? Life's not a beach. Why do you tell me, don't forget my towel? I'm too goddamn macho for a towel. Who exactly was George talking to here? And why? guys know me. My clothing style is pretty simple and classic. I'm a t-shirt and jeans type of guy usually, but Bird Dogs has had me change things up a bit. 
Bird Dogs has a fantastic pair of pants that are sleek enough for a dinner date, but also comfortable enough to play some fall golf. I've been the most stylish guy in the wrestling room wearing their new sweatpants, and their joggers are higher quality than Lululemon and $20 less. What are we talking about here? Just listen to Uncle Chael go buy some Bird Dogs. You'll be highly entertained reading through their site. Go to birddogs.com, enter the promo code CHAIL, and they'll throw in a free Bird Dogs rope hat. That's birddogs.com, promo code CHAIL, and boom, a free Bird Dogs rope hat with your pair of Bird Dogs, the most comfortable shorts, pants, and sweatpants with built-in liners. You will not take these things off, I promise you. one spread. The day that the fight was rumored to be happening, a rumor, a projected spread, and then they signed the fight, Islam versus Oliver. It was three to one. I've covered this, I don't know how many times, six, seven, eight times, because it pissed Oliver off. Oliver felt disrespected. For the first time ever, Oliver started speaking up for himself, and he never talked about those odds. I just felt confident that that's what he was referring to. He said, man, this guy shouldn't even be in here with me. Who is this guy beat? I am the champion. I have defended championships. I'm finishing everybody. You're bringing me a guy that shouldn't even be here with me. And this guy's a three to one favorite at one point, guys. DraftKings moved it to three and a half to one. Now that didn't sit there very long. That sat there about half of a day. But I was just pure, personally curious. Is this going to go even, is this going to go four to one? Is this going to go five to one? Cause this is the way I saw it. Islam is going to go tackle him and bludgeon him repeatedly for five rounds. This is what I saw. Now, that changed the night that Oliveira fought Gaethje. I knew Oliveira was really good. I didn't know he was that good. And Oliveira started to speak up for himself. He started to lay out his case. He laid out a case, man, you guys are threatening me with this guy's ground and pound. I'll start on my back. My jiu-jitsu is so good, I'll start on my back. Now, that's a terrible idea. But I still get the premise. Like, I really appreciated just conceptually that Oliveira knew what the problem or at least potential problem was going to be, which is I get taken down and held there against my will and I get pounded on. Rinse and repeat five times, right? Because in all fairness, Islam is five takedowns away from being a world champion. As a matter of fact, guys, Islam is three takedowns away from being a world champion. If he can get three takedowns and keep him there, it doesn't matter what happens in the other two, he leaves with the belt. But when you start to break it down that far, when you start to see the simplicity, right? A goldfish doesn't think he can eat a shark unless he takes a whole bunch of little bites. And if you start taking these little bites at it, this is really quite simple. Charles Oliveira needs to defend three takedowns. He becomes world champion. Islam needs to get three takedowns. He becomes world champion. Three to one is what this started at. Three to one is what this lived at. At one point, it moved to three and a half to one. Why do I keep talking about it? Because it's even money right now. It is plus 162 against negative 130. That's on DraftKings right this second. That's even money. And for you, you professional handicappers, please don't think that you have to correct me. That's even money. The way that we speak, when we just speak openly, plus 162 against negative 130, these guys are even money. How'd that happen and why? Because you guys changed it. DraftKings doesn't go in and change the line. Just for you people that don't understand that, the money starts to come in. The line adjusts itself. Somebody sets a line. The betters are then the ones that adjust the line. So money's coming in on Oliver. Why? Is it because he's so confident? Is it because he has a full understanding? Is it because he's come out and said, I'll start on my back. Don't, don't threaten me with this guy's takedowns. I'll start there. I think that's powerful. I really do. It doesn't mean that it's a good idea. It doesn't mean that he's even right. But it does show me that he at least understands. He sees what we see. He understands. This is what this guy is going to try to do. Oh, and by the way, I've had enough time to prepare. I mean, don't forget, as good as Islam is with taking people down as much as you see that, Justin Gaethje is an All-American in the Division One, so he prepared for that. Michael Chandler's a two-time All-American in the Division One, so Oliveira prepared for that. Dustin Poirier is nobody's fool when it comes to having MMA takedown, so he prepared for them. And if you really go back and you look at the clock, Oliveira has been preparing for Islam for two years now. 
I mean, just exactly how much time do you think that you need to pop a guy with your hips and push his head away? How much time do you think you need to, to shrimp on bottom or get an underhook and stand back up? I mean, in all fairness, he only has to do one of those four things that I just mentioned in each position. Oliveira might be able to win this fight. You guys have convinced me. You for sure have shown the world. This isn't even a maybe. You have shown the world being represented right now at the line at DK. You've at a minimum shown the world that you think he can win the fight. You think he's going to win this. That is an amazing juxtaposition for me here. Let me put you in a different example. Nate Diaz signs to fight Hazmat Chemaev. Nate instantly, 8-1 to one underdog, okay? I was in this chair when this news broke. I <clears throat> read it on my iPhone. I come back to the same chair 24 hours later. It's now 12-1 to one in favor of Chemaev. That is the way lines move. They don't get tighter. They don't get closer. And as each day goes by, this conversation starts changing. This narrative starts changing. The game plans of each guy starts to come out a little bit more. And now the line has moved. I'm just asking you guys why. What is it you're seeing? What is it that you're so sure about? And I feel as though my very simple analysis I gave you a moment ago really does hit the nail on the head. If Islam Makhlchev gets three takedowns, he becomes the world champion. I don't have a confidence that Oliveira can get up once he's taken down. I don't have a confidence that he can get up and get away. I do understand the very first one and everybody's fresh and everybody's feeling good. I get that. But I think when round two comes around, if he goes down one time, he stays down the entire time. I also have no belief that he is going to be able to submit Islam Makhlchev. I've been wrong before. Am I wrong now, guys? Is that what it is? Do you think that Oliveira is going to finish it? Because that's a bet within itself. Right? If you're going to pick Oliveira to win, but you believe he's going to do it by submission, then pick him to win by submission. Get 7-1 to one odds. But that line hasn't moved. That's not the one that's moving. It's straight up between the two, which means a lot of people believe that Oliveira is going to win, and he's going to win a decision. Which, if he's going to do, means he has to stop those takedowns. Like, this isn't really rocket science. This isn't a really confusing kind of a match. One thing that we've never seen from Islam is his stand-up. We've heard, and there's been clips that are released from the gym, and he's got the big headgear, and he's got the big gloves and the shin pads, and he looks really damn good. I agree, but we haven't really seen that in live competition. He doesn't go to it, and frankly, he should not go to it until plan A gets stopped, which is take somebody down and bludgeon them. That has not been stopped yet. But if Oliveira is the guy that can stop it, we're at a minimum going to see something new. At a minimum, we're going to see new skills put on display by Islam. And for me, that's exciting. For me, that's worth the time and money. I like to learn something new. I like to see something new, particularly with the top guys. I like to see skills that haven't yet been put on display, but they work on every single day in the gym for the last decade. For me, that's exciting. I'm wondering if that's what you're seeing. You're the ones that moved the line. Not DraftKings, not me. Your money came in on Oliveira. I'm asking you, why? And why now? Guys, huge fight coming up. Alexis Gron is going to take on Arujo. I want to give you a full breakdown. All right, bear with me for the next 10 minutes because... No, no, come on. <laughs> I'm kidding. I would never talk about that. But if we can just hang in here, if we can just cling on for 18 days, UFC 280 is upon us. Have you guys looked on this card? Have you, but have you looked at the whole card? Not just the main event. And I get in this sport, we're top heavy, right? Who's the main event? And that'll let you know how the card's going to be. Well, that's going to be possibly the most uh, talked about fight of the year. I feel like we've been talking about Islam versus Oliveira for all of 2022. That's what it feels like. Like when that fight got announced, it got announced and it was getting headlines. It was getting attention. The posters were out months longer than any other fight. That's how it feels to me. I mean, that's a pay-per-view that's been coming up, and we're talking about it in front of pay-per-views that are coming up prior. That's what it feels to me. But I'm asking if you've looked at the entire card, because a fight that I cannot wait to see, oh my goodness, is Blahal Muhammad versus Sean Brady. This fight is massive, and it has massive implications. Truly. Sean Brady is completely undefeated. Blahal Muhammad is a star within the division. 
It's very hard to get a star that is name recognition, and Bahal is. Reminiscent of the fact that he's done three main events. Three times he has been booked in main events. And I should mention for you, he's never lost. Even the fight against Leon, he did not lose that fight. I'm just sharing for you. He's now going to... This is an undercard fight. It's an undercard fight that surprises me, but I can't completely bitch about the placement of the card. It's that loaded. That is the point that I'm trying to make. And you want to know one that we're really not discussing enough? It's Yon versus Sean. And the line has moved on DraftKings. Right now, Yon is a plus 400. Is it minus 400? If I said it wrong, but he's the favorite. And it was 300 the last time that we discussed it. And I'm bringing this to you because that's a really interesting fight. And you have not seen Yon in a fight like this in a meaningful period of time. Yon has been in five-round contests, but that's a, that's a different sport, guys. If you change one rule, you now change the sport. Bo Nickel went almost 15 minutes in a grappling match uh, with Gordon Ryan. Bo Nickel had a white belt. He had never done He went almost 15 minutes with Gordon Ryan. That's longer than Andre Gavau went with Gordon Ryan. That's seven times longer than Nicky Rod went in the world finals with Gordon Ryan. But they changed one rule. You couldn't do heel hooks. And I, and I only bring that to you to bring... If you change one rule, you just change the sport. If you do a basketball game and the three-point shot is now a seven-point shot, you, you've just changed the sport. If you do football and you go three-quarters instead of four, you've just changed the sport. You change where the endurance comes. You, come, you change where the drive comes. You change when you got to switch gears and kick in. It's, it, it matters. It matters to some degree. Now, I think it matters in a positive way for Jan. Jan does not have to play those games with himself about preserving energy, managing energy. He can just put his foot down on the pedal and go. I think it changes it, but it changes it in the favor of Jan. I also would give one criticism to Sean, and I can only give it to him because he did it in his last fight. What do we say in this sport? You're as good as your last fight. And Sean started slow. I've never seen him do that before. Sean usually starts fast. I mean, he's like a drag car. He comes out, boom, boom, boom. There is a storm, and a lot of times nobody is left standing. But he didn't do that in his last contest. His last contest, he was feeling him out. He was feeling him out. He thought it was going okay. He never put his foot down. There was a discrepancy if he even had won that round. He thought that he did. Judges did not. I did not. I didn't, I didn't think that it was obvious. I did not think that Sean had clearly won that round. I'm only bringing that to you because he's never left any doubt before. So to judge Sean or to paint him with a brush based on five minutes of action really isn't fair, but I'm still left with that because there's no time to waste. Sugar Sean can win this fight. These are two kickboxers, and Sugar Sean hasn't been put in there with the highest of ranked guys, but he has destroyed the guys that he has been put in there with. Oh, and by the way, look good doing it. I mean, you can see Sean's form. You can see the one-twos. You can see the body. You can see the follow-up with the kick. You can see him understanding range. Like, he is showing off massive amounts of skills with trained professional fighters and beautiful placements on massive events. That's a lot of experience. I keep hearing people questioning his experience. What I just laid out, that is a massive wealth of experience being put in a feature bounce all the way back to the Contender Series. To attempt to dismiss the competition of Sean, I think it's rude. I think, I think you're inaccurate to do it, but I also think it's rude. This is a confusing fight. This isn't like, say, Adesanya versus Pierre. Well, okay, we get it. Two kickboxers are going to go. It's for the unified title. Put them in the little gloves. But we see, get what's happening here. You have two guys that are striking heavy. Make no mistake. Sugar Sean can grapple. He can play the guard game off his back, but he can also control wrestling. Yon can too. That's what makes this massively different. We've got two strikers in a striking battle. And I'm not willing to concede that Yon has a massive leg up. I'm not. Sugar Sean uses range. He understands these things. There's ways he could pick Yon apart for a period of time. If Yon figures that out and he's got a little bit of a problem, maybe you should see Yon versus Sanhagen first round. Be a great example. Sandhagen was too much for Jan because of the range, but Jan figured it out. 
He bobbed and weaved. He got in sight. He took some shots as he was figuring this out. And then he found his target. I only bring that reference to you because each round is very valuable here. It's a three-round fight, which John hasn't done in a meaningful amount of time. If one guy could come out and grab the first two rounds, round three doesn't even matter. You don't even have to beat the opponent anymore. You just got to outrun the clock. It's a very short period of time. I think if you look at that, look at it in that aspect, you will agree with me that Sugar Sean cannot go burn around. He cannot do what he did in his last fight. There's no feeling out process. He's got to go. Go win one and two and just put a mark on this thing. But Jan's going to have to mix this up too. Jan does take a little bit of while when he has those longer guys. And a lot of times, you'll always hear about a reach advantage, but tell me one time that a reach has ever been an advantage. The guy with the longer arms, first off, he looks silly walking around society. And second, it's never helped him in an ass-whipping contest. I don't understand why we act like having long arms is some gift. Of all the things I get down on my knees and pray to God would happen to me, it would not be to have long arms. But every now and then you meet a guy that knows how to use it, and Sugar Sean's one of those guys that knows how to use it. If Sugar Sean can get started fast, he will pick you on apart at first. But he's only got three rounds. He's only got to win two. Four to one spread on this thing? That's crazy. Transitioning over to the guy who will find himself on the pay-per-view at UFC 282. Guys, Bo Nickel has been making a lot of headlines recently, and something he said this week caught my attention. I want to bring it to you. Bo Nickel was on Helwani, and Bo Nickel said, I'm fighting on the main card. And Ariel corrected him. This is December 10th, right, Bo's? UFC Octagon debut, right? He's not in the UFC. Don't forget that when you're on the Contender Series. I made this mistake. I made this mistake on the Ultimate Fighter. Somebody had won on the Ultimate Fighter, which got them into the house, and I'm sitting cage side. Dana's in the middle. John Jones is on the other side. And I say to the guy, he comes over and he looks at us, uh, coaches, after his fight. And I said, welcome to the UFC. And Dana turns and corrects me and says, it's welcome to the Ultimate Fighter. They're not in the UFC yet. But it's, it's a big correction, right? I mean, you're in the octagon, for goodness sakes. Dana's watching you, but there is a distinction. So Bo will be debuting in the UFC. Okay. And Bo told Ariel, I, I'm a main carter. Don't, don't talk to me that way. I was the main event of the Contender Series twice now. Did the highest ratings they did. Don't, don't tell me I'm, I'm not a main card fighter. And Ariel goes, Bo, I'm looking at the card right now. The card is posted on MMA Fighting, and it says that you're the main event of the undercard. And Bo said, I, I'll retire before I'll fight undercard. If you think I'm an undercard guy, just release me now. I loved it. I loved it. The Darren Till and Duplessis fight is going to fall apart. I'm not convinced that Bo's in a position to fill in for that. I, I don't know what's going on or what the thought process with, with the slow rise to Bo Nickel is. It is very rare that you get a media sensation. We just had one. It was called Chemayev. We could not build any stars since Chemayev broke into the scene because he sucked all the air out of the room and he got all of the headlines. So it's very hard to break in unless you're already a polished guy with a fan base. And I'll give you an example. Patty the Batty. Already established, had his fan base, had done his thing over across the pond. Very hard to break in because Jemayev was there. And now all of a sudden, Bo is getting a lot of it and he's not there yet. He, he is not still like the Jemayev thing was massive. The Jemayev experiment, that whole marketing plan, it was massive. And Bo wasn't there yet, but Bo is today's. For today, for the short term, and he's only been at this, what, guy? He's been in the UFC for 10 days now? His contract's been fine in 14 days? He's becoming that guy, and I don't like the idea. I'm with him. I don't like the idea of undercarding him. I don't like putting him in there with a guy where, where the odds makers have it at, at negative 1,800. I, I do feel like Bose, what's the point? You're talking to him like he's brand new. Is he good enough to be here or not? He got signed. Is he good enough to be here or not? He proved it not once, he proved it twice. The only guy that's had to do that, is he good enough to be here or not? And I also agree with something else Bo is saying. Bo's saying, you guys are talking to me because of what you know. I've had a thousand wrestling matches against the absolute best, and that's true. 
Bo is on the mat. You can find it right now on YouTube. Taking out Mark Hall for spots on the cadet world team. Bo lost a shot at the junior world team as a high school kid. He's wearing his Texas singlet on the mat in the finals. He loses to a sophomore who's a Division I defending champion named Gabe Dean. He lost 3-2. to two. Bo goes to the NCAA tournament. He's never not been in the championship match. He goes overseas into some of the biggest matches there are. His coach is an Olympic champion. His training partner at 211 is an Olympic champion. His training partner at 185 is an Olympic champion. I mean, for Bo to say that you're not going to give me credit for the thousand things that I did prior to being here, and you're going to tell me I'm on an undercard, now look, this is just talk. I don't know what Bo's placement is going to be, and whatever the placement is, he's going to have to walk out there and deal with it. I'm just saying that I like the attitude. I like the fact that he was saying it. And Bo has a lot of things going right for him that other guys would have already screwed up. And I, I give so much credit to Bo's father, Jason. I really do. I've known this guy for basically my whole life. I've known Bo's father at a distance. I'm not sure that we've ever met. I feel like he's an old friend. I'm not sure that I've actually ever met him. But Jason's a wrestler. And he understands what it takes to train. He understands from a physical but also from a mental mindset. And Bo Nickel did not leave state college. That is a massive difference from anybody else that's ever gotten a little bit of run. I tell you guys all the time, nothing destroyed my team. My team of Team Quest, nothing destroyed us more than the Ultimate Fighter. I have one teammate that's my teammate to this day that went on the Ultimate Fighter. And even he left for four or five years, but he came back. I mean, I'm just sharing for you. We didn't have anybody go off to that experience, get that attention, get a little bit of money, get a little bit, and come back home. And I just share with you, Bo Nickel, who's aligned himself with a mega gym out of Miami, ATT, but who has chosen to stay in state college. It's a very responsible move. And I know that his father, Jason, is partly behind. I just know it. I haven't talked. I know I'm right. It is a massive competitive advantage. You can go out to the mega gym and you can surround yourself and you can get on the media and you can get on Instagram. You can go do those things and hang out with these guys that are cool and popular and famous. You can do that or you can stay right here in the cornfields and every day go in, have a coach who's Olympic champion, a workout partner who's Olympic champion, and another workout partner who's the Olympic champion. And you can take your beatings. And you can give. Right? Don't act like Bo's just getting pushed around by these guys. He's in there competing. But I see so many guys, guys that were great wrestlers that stop wrestling. As soon as you stop wrestling, please don't tell me that you're a great wrestler. You were a great wrestler. As soon as you stop, the moment that you are no longer a card-carrying member of USAW, please don't tell me that you're a great wrestler. You were a great wrestler. I don't care if that's one day removed. If you don't do it anymore, you're not great. You were great. It is a massive competitive advantage. We have never had a young guy go on and do great things on the international circuit that wasn't attached to a college room, not to an RTC, by the way. Sorry, RTCs. That's, it's not the way it works. The guys that do the best are the ones that stay in the college room. They can do that grind. They can keep up with that workout. If you are tough enough to go through an NCAA season, you are at a different level of toughness. It is the number one thing that is holding our Greco program back. We don't have Division I guys. If you could go train Greco twice a day, every day, somewhere, with Greco guys and Greco coaches, and you're picking up the bag, and you're or you could just go train collegiate, a completely different style. And two times a week, stick around 15 minutes after practice and do some parterre. If you did that, you will beat the guys that only do Greco. For sure. Not maybe. They won't even be able to hold up. The conditioning and the grind and the fight and the toughness are not even comparable. It is a massive competitive advantage if Bo Nickel is still in the room. Getting all these headlines and getting all this attention. And every day he's in here being coached by an Olympic champion, working out with Olympic champions, reigning, defending, current. It's a massive competitive advantage. And you'll see wrestlers, and I, I could name them. I don't want to because I don't want to embarrass them. That's, that is not my attempt. It was just a mistake made that us other wrestlers need to watch and observe and make sure we don't make the same mistake. They'll go out there. turns out they got a pretty good right hand. They'll go and they'll fall in love with the right hand. Golfers do this all the time. It's called following love, falling in love with your swing. 
They forget all their other swings. They forget what brought them here. They don't keep that tool sharp. They get in a dust up. They need a score. They need a takedown. They got to change the position. They can't do it. Now you get a grind, you get a scramble, you get something hard going. You don't have the lungs to do it. Nothing is as hard as collegiate wrestling. Nothing. Nothing. It's not, not remotely close. But because it's so hard, guys don't do it. Guys don't want to do it. Guys don't want to be in a college room. They get out of the college room. Whew, I can move on. I can go do something else. I can even go to the Olympic team and not have to go to that college room, which is a good thing. Because there's a lot of Olympic champions that aren't going to make it in the college room. This has been tested. The Cuban who beat John Smith not once but twice came over to a Division Three program. A Division Three program. He got third. He didn't even win it. There's not a there's not a comparable on the toughness and the grit and the condition and the battle of collegiate wrestling compared to international or compared to MMA. I'm just sharing that with you. As soon as Bo gets on that plane and he goes to Miami, I'm singing a different tune. It is not going to be up from there. It is going to be downhill, and he might be able to hold it steady. He might still be the best in the world. 26 years old, he's going to get that second round of strength. There could be positives that happen. I'm just sharing with you. It is not going to be at the trajectory as staying in the collegiate room, doing the practice, and I mean all of it, the sprints at the end, the pull-ups, the whole bit, the whole two hours. If you do that, you are separating yourself. MMA guys can't get wrestling workouts. They can't do it. There's not a wrestling gym that will allow them. If you didn't go to college somewhere, you, you can go back to the room. Your coach will let you in. He'll slide you in regardless of what the rules say. Of course, you're an alma mater. Come on in, get your workout. Of course. But if you didn't go there and you're an MMA guy and you want to go learn how to wrestle, you're not going to get in on those workouts. So now what are you going to do? You go find a high school that lets you in? Okay, maybe. But now you're a grown man that's got all this reputation in public and you're going to get your ass kicked by children. It's a great way to go. It's a great way to learn, to humble yourself, go in there, take that beat by the children. I'm just sharing with you, they don't do it. And Bo never walked away. The massive competitive advantage. I hope he stays right where he's at. So I'm going to just make the assumption that you guys have heard the rumors about Chemayev, right? Currently, Chemayev is in Russia. He was on a plane. He was headed somewhere else. He touched down in Russia. They found him he was on the plane. They take him off it. They seize his passport. I mean, the, the story was something along these lines. But this isn't the first time that this has happened to Chemayev. And what I mean is there's a rumor and a story about him being stuck in some country and somebody took his passport. It, it really, we've rinsed and repeated about this back. Now, it doesn't mean it's not true. But it doesn't mean that it is. This was literally going on. The one time that I met Chemayev, I brought you guys this did a little social media piece. But Chemayev was stuck in some other country. I want to say he was stuck in the Middle East. As this story was going on, this story was around, and we hadn't heard from Chemayev. He's pretty good on social media. He's pretty active. He's pretty busy. If he's heard this story, he could fix it real easy. He could turn around and say, hey, guys, it's not true. I'm free. But he never did. He let the story just go. I happen to be in Las Vegas. I happen upon the PI. There's Chemayev. He's standing right there. And I believed the first story. I believe that he was stuck. I can't quite remember the country. I think it was in the Middle East. That he was stuck there. They pulled his passport. He's standing right here in Las Vegas. So I'm only sharing for you because now we're seeing it again. And the evidence that Chemaya is stuck in Russia is that somebody put that on the internet one time. But the proof that this time it's true is the fact that Chemayev has not gone out, made a video, and told the world, I'm not stuck in Russia. Instead, his manager came out and said, no, that rumor isn't true. So I'm just bringing this to you. I do not believe that he's stuck there. It also doesn't make, from a political standpoint, if you guys are following what's going on, wouldn't it make sense to hold on and seize or punish Chemayev in any kind of a fashion? So I don't personally believe it. I will admit for you, I don't have proof. I'm not standing with them. I can't post it on my social accounts. I'm just mentioning that this rumor keeps on coming up. Now, as I dug a little bit further into the rumor, Chemayev was headed to Thailand. He's headed out to th Thailand to train with Darren Till, who's in Thailand. Okay, let me stop you right there. That's a problem for me. If Darren Till is in Thailand preparing for a fight, 
that I don't think is even going to happen, that's a problem for me. And it's a problem because while the work is hard, they suck. And they always have. I mean, if, if I've got to go through another day of MMA gyms, seen a guy show up wearing the shorts, got the big pad on, and, he, and he's holding mitts as you're throwing a, a, a switch kick, which has worked a grand total of zero times, it's annoying. If I got to what? As you teep the body while you pump the, and you pull the knee up. I mean, I've got to tell you, this stuff doesn't work. I am a kickboxer. I believe in it. I do Muay Thai every day. I believe in that as well. But you had best believe that in the history of this sport, everybody that goes over to Thailand, show me a winner. Everybody that goes over there and does these training camps, show me a champion. Everybody that wants to go over there and skip the rope and run in the heat before they come in and hit the pads with absolutely no head movement, which is the reason that sport does not translate, show me somebody that had success. If Darren Till is in Thailand, I have a problem with that. And I know a ton of guys who have gone. They'll come back, they all tell the same story. And they all want to train like that. And they want to show you what they learned over there. Okay, great. Who is training you and your workout partners? Who are they? Well, I was there 10 years ago. Well, that, that's, that's great then. So your workout partners might have been completely unknown 10 years ago. Certainly they've risen. to. So tell me who they are now. I might not have known 10 years ago, but tell me now. That's even more helpful. Zip the mouth shut, throw away the key. I have, I have a huge problem with it for different reasons. I really don't want to just go pick on them. I think I, think I just wanted to point that out because I it, it is a little bit of a nuisance in this space to hear somebody, that, I mean, they're working so hard to zip a few bucks so they get to Thailand so they can train. And they all come back with the exact same stories. Oh man, I got to the gym, it was time to train. And the coach told us, go run two miles. You run two miles before we do anything. So we run two miles, we come back and now we're tired and now we start jumping rope. So the rope gets done. We think we're going to go in the bags. Coach says, run another two miles. Oh my God, I've never ridden four miles in my life. I run four miles and now it's just for time for practice start. I go do three rounds on the mid. Coach says, go run another two miles. I mean, everybody has the same story. Do you have to go to Thailand to run? Did you need somebody in Thailand to tell you that running is a very common sport for that of combat? Are you not aware that here in America, over in Russia... The Cubans and the Germans and the Swedes and all around the Eastern Bloc, all around the earth, athletes run. Like, did you not know that? And if you come back from Thailand and you tell me how great this camp was and how you paid and what you ate and who you hung out with and the new idea and philosophies that you have, but the only thing that you can really tell me that you did that was different is you ran a lot. I'm in. I like filling a gas tank up. I believe in running. Of course, there's no running in the actual octagon, so it's a little bit weird that that's your big takeaway. I was thinking I was going to hear more about a strike, something that you learned over there that you could actually use in competition, but in all my life, I never do. I never do hear about it. It is a massive problem to train your body, to go out of your way to train your body to not move your head. It's a massive problem. If you have pillows on your hands, known as gloves, boxing gloves, you can get away with that. You can do what's just simply called a cover. You put your hand up like it's a shield. You push them together like they're a shield. You got these huge gloves on, and then you bury your head in it. As this guy tees off on you. Once he stops, now it's your turn to tee off on him. Once you stop, they go back and forth. They will actually train you to do that. As terrible and stupid as what I just explained, they will train you. You will go over there and you will learn these bad habits. Or you can stay with your coaches and move your damn head that the guy's trying to hit. This isn't a trick question. There's a reason that over the history of time, we've never had a meaningful fighter. We've never had a fighter that you guys could name that you've watched, that you've paid to see, whose t-shirt you wanted to order because you could look like him, that came from one of those camps. But there's also never been a fighter that doesn't want to go over there and kick mitts and go run two miles before he hits the heavy bag and run two miles before he does the speed bag. Like it's just it's one of these things. I have a big problem with Darren Till's over there. I have concerns for Darren Till's upcoming match. I have a concern to the I don't think the match is gonna happen. For one. I have concerns about the preparation. 
Darren Till has two gyms that I'm aware of. The one that he grew up in, the one that he was training at the day he busted into a main event and stopped Cowboy Cerrone in a minute. And another one in Sweden, which am I and company, where he's very welcome and very comfortable, where those are his actual guys who will show up and give their bodies, give their knowledge, give their time, because they care about him. He has two gyms to do that. Very rare. Most guys have one. People like Darren. Darren spent enough time. Darren worked hard enough. He has two. But those are, st- those are his options. If you've got a fight allegedly coming up, you need to be at one of those gyms. What are you doing in Thailand? And don't think you have to answer the question. I already know the answer. You're running. Don't think that I don't know that you're, you're working some elbows and some knees in with some beautiful attacks, though in the history of watching the sport, you've never actually seen them done in live, live competition. But boy, they look good on the mitts. Boy, this gym, I mean, it's outside, I'm in the sun, I got a little, I'm getting fresh air. Man, I've I've heard the whole thing. I've heard it all. If Jemayev is stuck in Russia because he was planning to go train in Thailand, they did him a favor. And if Darren Till is in Thailand training for a fight, he's in the wrong place. All right, guys, that's it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're enjoying it and you're looking for more of me, you can follow me over on YouTube. Enjoy your weekends. Remember who you are, what you stand for, and try not to let that get you down. I'm Shale Sonnen, and you are welcome.